If you have your copy of God's Word, I'd love for you to take it and turn to the book of Mark. We are continuing our walk through that book. Today we come to a very familiar story that you've all heard many times. And I, I think we like this story. We like the, uh, the ingenuity of the, the four guys bringing him. We like the encouragement of seeing the paralytic get up and walk away. But the real climax of this story is the exchange between Jesus and the scribes. Even though they don't say anything, they just think it. Jesus confronts them because what we're going to find today, forgiveness is the pinnacle of Jesus' incarnation. It's the whole reason he came as a, as a man. He came to provide forgiveness through grace by faith. So this is the, Mark is kind of the account of Jesus' earthly ministry, and it's meant to encourage believers that Jesus was human, Jesus went through some tough times, and he has provided us a way to go through tough times. He probably wrote this to Christians in Rome who were undergoing Nero's persecution in about A.D. 64. And Mark has designed his gospel to reveal in very clear moments the full divinity of Christ along with the full humanity of Christ. He wants to capture both of those things in most of his stories. So right here we're going to read where Jesus comes back to Capernaum and after his Galilee tour of preaching we read about last week where he toured the whole area, 30 by 20 mile area of Galilee, he went around preaching and teaching and healing. He returns to where his ministry kind of broke out in a synagogue service one day. And now his popularity gains him a chance, an opportunity that Jesus knew was coming. So don't think it's just, it, it surprised him. That there's a chance, there's an opportunity here to reveal why he really came. The mission that he has from God. Let me read this passage and we'll talk about it. Starting with chapter, in chapter 2 verse 1, he says, When he entered Capernaum again after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So... Many people gathered together that there was no more room, not even in the doorway. And he was speaking the word to them. They came to him bringing a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And after digging through it, they lowered the mat on which the paralytic was lying. Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Right away, Jesus perceived in his spirit what the, that they were thinking like this within themselves, and he said to them, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk, but so that you might know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately, he got up, took the mat, and went out in front of everyone. As a result, they were all astounded and gave glory to God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Let's pray. I love this story, Father, and I thank you for including it in your word, and I thank you for what it teaches us about the mission you sent your son on. 
about forgiveness. May we take to heart what's written here this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So Jesus is exploiting the faith of these four men who brought this paralytic and the paralytic's faith to reveal one of the most amazing miracles there is out there. Forgiveness. That's the most amazing miracle. Jesus came to earth with the one gift he needed that he needed to pass along to humanity, the authority to forgive sins. So how does he demonstrate that the authority to forgive resides in a human form? Well, we're going to follow this simple scene in, in this familiar place to see the authority to forgive emerge. We're kind of going to interrogate the story, which is why you don't have any points. We're just going to do a, a who, what, when, where, and why of this story. So first, let's start with where. I'm just using these questions to kind of, where is he? Verses 1 and 2. Let me read those again. When he entered Capernaum again after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many people gathered together that there was no room, not even in the doorway, and he was speaking the word to them. So they're in Capernaum when he reveals this great mystery or this great authority he has. They're not in Jerusalem. They're not in the capital. They're not in the center of the Jewish religious machine. They're in Capernaum. Yet this village will not respond to what they are seeing. Jesus declares this in Matthew 11. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? No, you will not. You will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until today. But I tell you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. Capernaum, the base of operations for Jesus' ministry in, in the Galilean area, is not going to believe in the Messiah. That blows my mind. I mean, what we've already seen happen in Capernaum before he took his Galilean tour, they're not going to believe. And he's going to condemn them one day to their face. See, Nazareth was Jesus' real hometown. That's where he was raised. He was born in Bethlehem, but his hometown was Nazareth. But he had moved his home or his domicile to Capernaum, primarily, I think, because his first four disciples were there. Peter, Andrew, James, and John. But I think it's because that's where God wanted him and that's where Jesus wanted to be. So he came home in a sense and he came home to speak more about what he came for. He wasn't technically preaching like he declared he was going to do through Galilee. I think he had more of a Bible study group tone going on in this particular moment in time. But he was in Capernaum sharing truth, doing miracles, and they're not going to believe. So that's where it was. When? Well, it was at the perfect time. Look at verses 3 through 7. They came to him bringing a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and after digging through it, they lowered the mat on which the paralytic was lying. Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? So we have a crowded doorway. We have four guys carrying a paralytic. We have a paralytic. We have scribes present. What a scene. 
there's a roof entry and, and it's not a I mean some of the pictures I've seen that people have drawn of it is like way up above I think it's like barely above his head those houses weren't very tall because they didn't have the money and the resources to build very high houses as, as a common people so they're tearing through the roof and for the first time we see faith expressed so this is the perfect time. There, it's not a calendar thing, okay? It's not a wristwatch thing. It's a circumstance timing. When did this happen? So the doorway's blocked. The four friends get resourceful. They go up onto the roof. Most of them had some sort of way to get on the roof because they, they, did, they dried things up there for their, for their food. They did other things up there. So the roof was a flat roof, able to get access to, and they dug a hole through the roof. I'm sure the homeowner wasn't very happy about that, but they made a skylight. Big enough to lower a person through. My arms are six feet long. So it had to be at least this probably. Just to be able to lower the guy through onto the floor and create this incredible scene. Because I'm sure dust and dirt and debris were falling on people's heads and they were spreading out and creating a hole and down comes this paralytic. See, their urgency motivated by their faith in Jesus for their friend provides a great setup for Jesus' new concept, his introduction of a new idea here. And like I said, this is the first time we see the word faith in the Gospel of Mark. First time Mark's used this word faith, a particular word in the Greek. And we've seen people believe that Jesus could heal them, but this word faith is clearly meant to imply they trusted Jesus as the Messiah, as the Savior, even though they didn't even know how that was going to happen. They had faith. God grants them faith that Jesus could forgive them. That's what happens right there. They show up, they've got that faith, and it provided the perfect time for Jesus to show them what he could do, what he's allowed to do. So Jesus says to the paralytic that they've lowered down in front of him, your sins are forgiven. Now nobody was expecting that. But I was just like, blow people away. Wow, what, what's he why? You're saying, we're expecting you to say, get up and walk. See, Jesus had already healed some paralytics in different places. Matthew and Luke talk about those before this incident happened. So healing a paralyzed guy was not anything unusual, but it had happened before. But Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, meaning your sin is cast away. Your sin is remitted. You don't have any more sin before God Almighty. And, and I don't know if you see it here, but grace, God's grace enters the room right there. Jesus did not have to say your sins are forgiven. He didn't have to forgive that man, but he did. And so now the scribes are there <laughs> and they begin their mental gymnastics of second guessing Jesus and, and Jesus actually expects this, you know? And so... The timing is really perfect for Jesus to express and reveal his authority to forgive sin. Something that they didn't really believe he could do. No man could do, they would believe. So let's talk a little bit more about the who. Who is here? Well, let me read some verses to you. Verses, th- verses 3, verse 3. Let's see. They came to him bringing a paralytic carried by four of them. So there's those four guys. Then you skip down to verse 6. Some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. So there were some scribes there. Then you go to verse 8 through 11. There's some more people in this one. Right away, Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were thinking like this within themselves and said to them, 
Why are you thinking like these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Who's there? Four men, a crowd, a paralytic, some scribes, and Emmanuel. Emmanuel is there. Now, we don't, know, we don't know who these four men are. We don't have any history of them, what their relationship is, or anything. And like I said, paralytics have been healed before. In Matthew and Luke, you can go back and read those before this time even happened. But then the scribes. Who are the scribes? And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Scribes are basically lawyers who teach the law to the people. So generally, someone in the synagogues around the area that were teaching on Sabbath, Saturdays, would teach from the law, and they were the scribes. And they would usually be teaching in a way that was quoting some former rabbi, some old teaching that they had read, not necessarily what the Bible was meaning by the, the passage. So that's who the scribes are. They're part of the Pharisee sect of, the, of Judaism, and they're there. Now, why are they there? I mean, we're, we're used to this in the, in the narrative of Jesus' life. We're used to this animosity and this constant friction between the Pharisees and Jesus but it hadn't started yet. Why were they there? They were curious, mostly. They were interested in the miracle worker, not the Messiah. Because here's an interesting fact about Judaism at that time. They taught that the Messiah would not forgive sins. That Messiah was just coming back to reign. As king of the nation, and God was still the only one that would forgive sins by the sacrificial system in the temple. So they, that's what they taught. So Jesus rocks their world in a sense, and their paradigm, and their teaching. You are forgiving sins? So they question Jesus' words in their hearts, and Jesus sees it. And now he's done it. You know, now he's kind, of, he's kind of lit the fire under this controversy a little bit. They accuse him of blasphemy, which, by the way, is the sin that eventually gets him convicted for crucifixion. He's acting like God, only the one God. You could, this, this translation uses God alone, but it really should be probably only the one God. Only God can forgive sins. What are you saying? Well, then Jesus reads their minds. Now, <laughs> this is, I love Mark because he has a lot of irony going on. He reads their minds. Who can read your mind? And don't say your spouse. They get lucky every once in a while. <laughs> Not your spouse. God can read minds. So here he is, Jesus, reading their minds, telling them what they're thinking, and they're saying he's not God and he can't forgive sins. That's, I love the irony of Mark. God is present right there in that room. And the authority to forgive sins is right there. But they never really go back and admit that. And as we walk through Mark, you're going to see that controversy get stirred up more and more. But Emmanuel is there, and he shows his colors true and clear. And he sets up this great illustrational epiphany for these scribes and for the people. He will show them why he has the authority to forgive sin, which is the what. What is this whole thing pointing to? Look verses 5 first. Verse 5, seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. 
Like I said a while ago, that's kind of the match that starts the whole thing. It's like, what? We didn't expect that. And then you go to down verses 9 through 12. Jesus is interchanging with the scribes, and he says, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately, he got up. He didn't stumble. He didn't wobble. He got up, took the mat, and went out in front of everyone. As a result, they were all astounded and gave glory to God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. So he turns healing into absolution right here in front of them. The sins are forgiven seems an odd thing to say for a paralyzed man, but Jesus always has a point. He always has a reason for what he does. You can trust that. You can take that to the bank for sure. See, forgiveness is not a visible act. But forgiveness is not a visible act. I can say you're forgiven, but I can't prove that you're forgiven. And so that's what Jesus is trying to get to. It's really unverifiable to us that you're forgiven. I mean, even when it's exchanges between each other, someone may say, I forgive you, but then you're not really sure they have forgiven you, and it kind of goes on and on. Well, Jesus is, is wanting to bring this from the human perspective. He says, it's, a, it's not a visible act. It's really unverifiable. Yet, in regard to God and eternity, it's a real necessity to be forgiven. Everyone needs it. Everyone needs forgiveness but not everyone gets it not everyone seeks it what sends people to hell not sin unforgiven sins we all sin we all have sin on our record but that doesn't send us to hell unforgiven sins what sends us to hell unforgiven sin is what costs us eternity in heaven all have sinned but not all will be forgiven so He's asking a question, which is easier to say? And the fact is, is that both are easy to say, but not both are verifiable. They're very hard to do. Matter of fact, they're impossible for humans to do. Forgiveness before God or heal the paralytic. Both require God to act. Both of them require God to act. And remember, Jesus is presenting this from a human viewpoint. Not from what we see now in, on the backside of this or what Jesus knows. So he's presenting this from a human. If someone can do one, why can't they do the other? And that's what Jesus is setting up here. Forgiveness is easy to say, but it's unverifiable to the human eye. Healing a paralytic, on the other hand, is very verifiable. If he didn't get up, Jesus' forgiveness would have been doubted, not real. So Jesus was showing them that the lesser thing to the greater thing here. It's an argument used in rabbinic and, and all kinds of teaching back then. So healing a paralytic can be said quickly and it's very quickly verifiable whether it's actually taken place. And he's using this argument to convey the greatest point he can ever convey to us. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And forgiveness can be granted by the man who can heal a paralyzed man. Really, from Jesus' point of view, healing was easy. Forgiveness was going to be the harder task because it involved the cross. Jesus healed this man differently from others. 
to show his authority to forgive sins as God would forgive sins. Complete absolution. Completely by grace, this man is free from sin. And, it, and the authority is the God-given right to exercise forgiveness over sins. And that's what Jesus was given. And Jesus uses a term here, and some of you may understand it, some of you may not, son of man. That's the term that Jesus uses in most of his self when he's speaking to talk about himself. Where does that term come from, son of man? Well, most of us are sons of men and women, but this is a particular word, phrase that he uses, and he gets it from Jan Daniel chapter 7. It is a title that the Messiah has in Dan one of Daniel's visions. And Jesus proved in this one event he had the authority, he has the authority to forgive, to heal, and to redeem souls for God. And the paralytic gets up and walks out in front of everybody. He didn't crawl out. He didn't stumble out. He walked out, carrying his mat. He wasn't weak on his knees at all. Jesus is the Messiah with healing and forgiveness in his hand. We just need to trust that. The healing proved that the forgiveness was real. And that's what Jesus is doing here. And now we kind of get to the last question. It's always the, the harder question. Maybe the answer is why. Why did Jesus do it this way? Well, you know, forgiveness is the, really the only real cure any human ever needs. And what happens after he forgives them? Everyone rejoices. Everyone glorifies God, including the scribes. I think they're more confused right now, but they all glorified God, all of them. The scribes themselves were like, oh my gosh, we're amazed. We've never seen anything like this. Not the healing, the forgiveness. They'd seen healings. A lot of them had heard about the healings. They'd seen exorcisms. They'd seen demons cast out. The amazement came from the grace granted this man. The grace. Jesus gave this man mercy for his paralysis and grace for his sins. Grace granted him forgiveness. Mercy healed him. Grace saved him. Forgiveness was the result of acts in their mind. They, they had in their mind to get forgiven, you got to do certain things. You got to go to the temple several times a year. You got to take all these offerings and sacrifices. You got to do all these deeds. You got to say all these things. That's what's so crazy about this. They're, in their mind, they're like, it's a, it, how can he just say they're forgiven? In one quick moment, Jesus changes everything. This man stands guiltless before God by the grace of Jesus Christ. In one quick moment, just like that. No blood was shed yet. No ram had to be killed or goat or bull. What did the man do? He did absolutely nothing. How did he earn his absolution? Nothing. He didn't earn it. He didn't deserve it. Jesus just gave it to him. And that is the grace of forgiveness that we all need. That is how forgiveness in Jesus Christ works. God grants one the faith in Jesus to forgive. And when he grants you that faith, then you trust that Jesus can and that's what that man did, by grace, through faith. It is a gift of God, not of works. And Jesus showed this man and the whole crowd the real cure we all need, the real cure for humanity, forgiveness. 
We need forgiveness. You know, there's several people that I, I've come across, and I could name a lot of them, but they started out looking for one thing. The people in this room were looking for a healing of a paralytic man. But they, and then they, these people find out what they really needed. Some people like Lee Strobel, who wrote The Case for Christ. Josh McDowell, who wrote Evidence That Demands a Verdict, Volumes 1 and 2. William J. Murray, you may not know this guy, but he is the son of... Mur uh, oh, the, the atheist, Merle Ma I forgot her name now. Anyway, C.S. Lewis wrote Chronicles of Narnia. All these people started out looking for a way to disprove God, to, to disprove their need for Christianity. But they wound up finding they needed forgiveness from God. Yes, their books talk about the proof and the evidence that God exists and that Christ existed and that Christ came and lived as a man and died and was raised from the dead. All their books contain that, but why? Because they needed forgiveness. That's why. They found out they did. And see, God granted Jesus the authority to forgive sin. And Jesus uses that Son of Man title for a very good reason. Listen to this from Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 through 14. Daniel writes, I continued watching in the night visions, and suddenly one, like a son of man, was coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was escorted before him. He, the son of man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. Jesus is the Son of Man Daniel's talking about, and oh, yes, Jesus could forgive, because he'd been given the dominion to do that by God Almighty. I've said it already once this morning that forgiveness is the great separator between humanity it doesn't matter what party you belong to, what tribe, what creed, what color. It doesn't matter any of that. What denomination you belong to. Any other group that divides us doesn't really matter. The only thing that matters is forgiveness. All of us stand in need of that one thing. From, from birth to death, we stand in need of forgiveness. And forgiveness divides us into just two groups. The haves and the have-nots. Those who have Jesus' forgiveness and those who don't. So God incarnate, Emmanuel, he came to earth to provide this need, this cure, this freedom, this hope, this salvation, this redemption for our souls. That's why Jesus came. And he's revealed it right here in this crowded room in Capernaum. So let me ask you some questions this morning to investigate your life. Where are you in believing that Jesus is the only one that can forgive you of your sins? The only way to be forgiven by God? Are you like Capernaum, who's going to see all of this and still reject it and be cast into Hades? I hope not. When are you going to start to place your faith in Jesus? When? Are you waiting for a better time? Listen, there's no time like the present. Paul writes, today is the day of salvation. Don't procrastinate. Who are you in this story? Are you a scribe with a lot of skepticism? Are you one of the friends who knew they needed to bring Jesus, bring their friend to Jesus? Are you the crowd that just watches and becomes like Capernaum? 
Do you think you're the only person who doesn't need Jesus to be forgiven? If you do, you're wrong. I know, it's not politically correct to tell people they're wrong these days. But this right here says you're wrong. And what are you trusting in? What are you trusting in? Are you able to heal your own soul? Are you able to make yourself right with God? Did you find some other way to avoid hell? No, you did not. No, you didn't. Why do you request, why do you resist, question, stiff arm the grace of Jesus? You see how this man got it? It was free. Cost him nothing. He got it. You can't save yourself. Let Jesus do it. Matthew 18, he tells us, uh, 28, 18, he tells us, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. He's got it. Just go to him. Jesus has the full sovereign position of the great forgiver. And if you trust him now for that forgiveness, he will forgive you. 100% past, present, future sins. So we've looked at the where, when, who, what, and why of this story. To answer the how can a man forgive sins like God. And the one conclusion we've come to, I hope you've come to at the end, is that Jesus came in the flesh to call sinners to faith. That's why he came. He's standing there in front of them, forgiving sins as one born of a woman. Now let me close out with this one thought. What if, <laughs> what if Jesus had only forgiven the man but not healed him? There's a poem on the back of your outline that's a, that's a poem by William Culper. You've probably seen many of the phrases used in different places. I'm not going to read the poem, but it's something for you to think through because life is going to throw us things that don't make sense. Life's going to bring stuff on us that doesn't make sense. But we know that God's behind it all. God uses all things for his glory. And as one line in the poem says, behind the frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. Jesus is smiling on us. What if his friends had to take him home on that mat, unhealed but forgiven? Which do you think he would have preferred, being healed or being forgiven? I know which one he'd prefer, being in paradise for eternity with Jesus over walking a few more years. You know, in Psalm 63, David wrote, your faithful love is better than life. Well, I think that paralytic found that right there. And he would have gladly given up his ability to walk to be forgiven by the, God, the Son of God. Believer, you have accepted the forgiveness of Christ, and praise God that you have. Now you need to be a friend to a sin-paralyzed person. You need to find someone who's absolutely paralyzed by their sin. They're in a fix. They're in a position where they can't understand what's going on. And carry them to Jesus. Carry them to Jesus. Sometimes you do it through prayer. Sometimes you do it physically through helping them materially or benevolently. And then sometimes you do it just by talking to them and sharing them. If you want help doing that, come talk to me. I'd love to chat with you about it. If you want to join us here and become a full partner in our fellowship, 
We would love you to join us. Now, if you had identified with the paralytic before he was forgiven, you have not found eternal forgiveness for your soul. But you can. You can right now. Through faith, believe in your heart with conviction that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection provided the only solution to your sins and the only path of forgiveness before God Almighty. That's all you have to believe. That's what you have to look for. That's what this man believed. You believe without reservation that he can pay your sin debt. He took your death penalty for the sake of your sins. Believe it and you will be saved. You repent. You turn away. You put behind you. You put aside all the things that you have been trusting in for your salvation. All the things that you've hung on to to get yourself right with God. Put them away and turn to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this story and what it revealed. And how many times we may have read this story and just missed that little bit of, of truth shared there that Jesus Christ has the authority of God Almighty to forgive us of sins to make us right with you. Father, help us to share that. That's the greatest news there is. It's the one thing we all need. Every person in humanity needs forgiveness before you. May we look at them with those kind of eyes. May we see them with someone who needs Jesus, needs that forgiveness. And may we take them, carry them, drag them, whatever it takes, Lord. Get them in front of your son, Jesus Christ. Show them the truth of your word that speaks life into their lives. We need help doing that, Father. Help us. By your Holy Spirit, show us, guide us. Give us opportunities that we may share the love of Jesus to those in this lost and dying world around us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, let's stand and sing about being before the King. It's going to be sooner than you think.